The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you seeking more energy and ready to have more healings and revealings in your life? Then you've tuned into the right program. For the next hour, listen in as Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, shares with you tools you can use to transform your life. She will guide you on a journey to create a life that is intentional and dynamic. Now, here's your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. And welcome everyone and thank you so much for being an intentional uh, spirit and celebrating the idea of being awake, you know, more than ever before. We celebrate people that are awake. We celebrate people that are making a difference because they're willing to be different. And that would be, of course, including our tremendous uh, guest today. His name is David Good. He is the author of the best-selling book, The Way Around. David, welcome to our show today. Hello, Temple. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Oh, the pleasure is mine. I, um, I, I'm very dedicated to spiritual activism. I'm part of what we call the conscious majority of engaged spirituality. Um, there's been many communities and many leaders of, you know, new thought spirituality that certainly expand beyond just sitting in communities and talking about what we could do, um, but actually putting feet to those ideas. And I was just real excited to, to see uh, what you're about and what you're doing because you're kind of like the example I refer to uh, a lot in life is that you take what your life experience has been and you make it matter. You you do something with it. So I, I know your story, but please tell the audience um, your background uh, mm-hmm. and how you became an intentional spirit. Yeah, sure. So um, I suppose every every story there's an origin story, and it, and it dates back in the in the 1970s when uh, my father Kenneth Good um, he was a, an anthropology graduate student at Penn State University, and he was as part of his uh, graduate research, he was tasked to go down to the Venezuelan Amazon, uh, which was a um, sort of uncharted territory back then. It was a federal territory of the uh, of Venezuelan nation. And he was tasked to uh, um, to live among the Yanomami for about 15 months to measure protein intake, their their diet, and how that was related to uh, warfare, which was a hot topic during the time in anthropology. So he went down there, and and he found a culture that had uh, little to basically no contact or any sustained contact with the Western world. And these were people that couldn't count the past. Two, their numbering system was one, two, and many. Uh, they wore no clothes. They hunted. They fished. Uh, they had no written language. Uh, they had no wow. calendar. Uh, everything they needed was extracted from the surrounding forest. And um, so my dad, during those 15 months, measured protein intake. He felt like he was missing something. He couldn't sort of extrapolate some theory on warfare based on some numbers that he collected, you know, this data. So he decided that he needed to move into the village to learn their language, to learn their culture, understand how they think and feel and believe. And what was supposed to be a 15-month research program ended up being 12 years in the Amazon living among the Yanomami. So, uh, uh, and during those 12 years, he learned a language and was adopted into the village. And, and, and then one day, the headman of the village said, you know, you're one of us now. You are Yanomami. We don't see you as a complete outsider anymore. And as a Yanomami, it wouldn't be right if you didn't take a wife. And uh, so my dad thought, oh, how could I, as a Westerner, take, take a Yanomami wife? But, um, you know, he thought about it. And, and, you know, to make a long story short, you know, he developed this friendship with Yadima, uh, my mother. And that friendship soon turned into a romance. And they married according to Yanomami American customs. Um, and... and uh, I know that's sort of a cursory uh, uh, description of the background, and, and you can learn more about his details in his book, Into the Heart. But um, what happened was that periodically he had to leave the territory to renew permits and visas. 
and that caused a strain on the relationship. So he said, why don't you come with me to my world so that we could always be together? And that's what happened. They eventually moved to uh, New Jersey and started a Yadamami American family. I was the oldest, and I have a younger brother and younger sister. And I can only imagine, uh, you know, your mom having uh, the life that she's had with the Yanomamis and and being so settled in that culture, what what was it like for her then to go to rural and then oh busy New Jersey? I mean, did, was that a process yeah. for her? <laughs> yeah, I describe it as sort of for her because she had thought the whole world was the Amazon jungle. She had she did not know what was beyond her rainforest boundaries, and. Um, and so when she said, when my father said, come to my people, she thought she was just going to another Shabano, which is a Yanomama village, just, you know, a very, uh, a Shabano in a very far away place. And uh, little did she know, she was in for a real, real shock, you know. Um, it's like going into a time machine and just fast forwarding 2,000 years where you live, you went from living in, in, in a culture that was somewhat similar to the Stone Age, technologically speaking, um, and then you come to New Jersey and you see cars and, and, and pavement and people dressed in clothes and diversity of people. And for her, it was just a, an immense, you know, culture shock, I guess you could say. And, uh, you know, the first time a car turned on, she ran and hid behind a bush because, you know, it looks like an animal. She thought, you know, it was <laughs> going to eat her. Yes. And, uh, and seeing a full her full reflection in a mirror for the first time that really really freaked her out. She had never seen anything like that, so she was afraid of that, and she was scared and hid hid behind the bed. And but then you know she she adapted. She really liked uh, French fries. Um, she loved you know the clothes and the shopping here. And and you know you know not all of it was was bad. There was a lot of good. And um, but you know for the for those five six years that she was up here, she. She adapted. It's just that the one thing that she could not cope with was that extreme isolation from her Amazonian family. And, uh, you know, family is important for every part of society and culture in this world. But for the Yanomami, it's essential for survival. It's such a deep part of their social fabric. And the fact that she couldn't just wake up and go fishing and crabbing with her sisters and her aunts and um, it's just it wasn't the right way to live for her. And so she couldn't she doesn't, she woke up here and you're boxed in by these floors and walls and, and you're, you can't see very far when you wake up and your kids are in a different room. It's just for her. She didn't find it very humane. Um, mm-hmm. So she, she kind of struggled a bit there. Wow. So what age were you when she decided to return to the Amazon? Um, so what happened was, uh, you know, my dad was a different man up here in the United States than he was in the jungle. So, you know, down there, a man, you have to hunt and, 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 and fish and trek and so on. But up here, a man, you have to, you know, it, it, within this context, you have to go get a job, put food on the table, you know, pay taxes and all that stuff. And that's something that my mom, you know, you got to think of a culture. They don't count beyond two and they have no written language. So for her, right, it right. was hard for, hard for her to understand that why my father had to leave for hours at a time during the day and come back later. So, um, and, and what happened was when I was uh, five, it had been some period of time before we made return trips to the jungle because during those first five, six years, we did make return trips to the jungle. But after having three kids, it got expensive and, you know, dad had to work more and, and, and that time period between, New, you know, uh, staying in New Jersey and going back to the jungle had lengthened. So when I was five, she decided she couldn't do it anymore. She's, she, she was like a fish out of water, just suffocating. And she decided when I was five years old to separate from the family. And she was going to remain in her village, known as the Hasapuateri. And I was going to remain up here in the United States. And that would be the last time I would see mom for, for 20 years. Wow. That's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> A long um, time. Really, really long. And and it wasn't sort of this definitive moment where we thought mom was gone forever. We we thought maybe we could work it out, but it's kind of hard to work out relationships when one person's in the depths of the Amazon where there's no way of, 
communicating with her and the other is trying to raise three kids in suburbia, New Jersey. Um, so over time, as a child, you know, when I was five, six, seven, I couldn't quite understand it. I'm an adult now, and of course I understand it, but as a child I had internalized her leaving as abandonment, and I, and I really was hurt hurt by it. I thought that she had rejected me, rejected this culture. She just, you know, decided that we weren't good enough for her as kids and, and her children. And that's when, um, you know, during those years, I started, you know, uh, developing and internalizing some um, uh, skewed, you know, uh, views of who I was as a Yanomami American and my identity and so on. Well, it, you know, what comes to mind is, is when we say that, you know, on one level, sometimes love isn't enough. You know, cause it, it's yeah. very evident and clear that with her values that she holds as a family, with her values that she has in the Amazonian culture, that she definitely is about taking care of the tribe or, you know, what's called at hand. Uh, but yet it was too drastic you know, too much to come into this whole extreme of, of life. Um, what I value yeah. about even the conversation that you're having is you're, you're hitting some trigger points within people about how, how much in some ways we've, we've lost that. And though change is exciting and enterprise is exciting and, you know, all those different things, there's a level of that day to day life, um, that's uh, very cool, you know, and what, what your mom's uh, a part of. When did you get the first um, aha moment or epiphany that is like, I've got to go, I've got to go over there, I've got to see what this is about, I have to sense my mom again? Uh, was it a series yeah. of events or kind of walk us through it? Well, it was, it took me 20 years <laughs> to uh, get to that point. Um, and, uh, and I, I describe a, a little bit of the, the tribulations uh, that I went through um, internally and emotionally uh, in my book. But, you know, I, uh, um, I, as I, after I had internalized her mom leaving as a Ben and I decided to completely shut her off from my world, I, I had told everyone that, um, you know, that she had died in a car crash. And, and that usually, you know, kind of prevents them from asking more questions when you say something so drastic like that. And I, and that was the, um, the, the excuse I would use for, for telling my friends and peers that, you know, why is my mom not around? And, um, and I felt no, um, you know, uh, I renounced my heritage. I, I felt like how, how could I be proud of who I am if my connection to my heritage deserted me? So I also decided to no longer claim to be on a mummy. So within the next 20 years, uh, I, I dealt with those struggles. But, you know, you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror and, and you see your mother in you. And so it's that constant reminder every day of my life as I tried to hide from her, she was always there. And um, and then it didn't help that my dad had written a book and, and was doing movie deals and was featured in People magazine. And, and in fact, there's a picture of my mom in the American Museum of Natural History on display for the world to see. And when I would go on field trips with my, you know, with my classmates when I was 10, 11, 12, and we would walk down the halls, there's my mom, like this huge portrait of my mother. And, and I, so it really, as a child, I felt like I couldn't hide. And then when I was in my, you know, I got older and I dealt with, um, you know, the, the, the trials of being an adolescent here. And, and, and also I had some, you know, uh, really uh, uh, dark times dealing with, with drinking and alcoholism associated with my, um, you know, behaviors and, and emotional troubles. I wasn't until I was 21, 22, 23 when I realized that um, I'd been hating my mom, hiding from her for so long. But I also loved her and cared about her because, you know, there's that mother-son bond. It's there. And I realized that if I'm going to continue on, you know, I have a choice. I need to, I, I need to make a decision. You, you know, either I can just keep going down this dark path or I could try to, change and understand and begin to heal. And that's when I decided to read my dad's book and truly begin to understand why my mother left. And then I started reading 
all these all these ethnographies and articles and news pieces on the Yanomami and my mother, and I started understanding why she had to leave. And as I understood, I I, I forgave her, and um, I, I'm not sure if she really needed forgiving, but you know, it's more for myself. And that's was and that was my aha moment when I realized, wow, after 20 years, you know, I I have this now I have this innate yearning, this drive to to go back to the Amazon jungle to, to find my mother, to reunite with her and, 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 and reclaim my heritage as a Yanomami. What a story. It's an incredible story. Um, and how you've been able to turn everything around. I guess there is a lot to be said of knowledge is power, right? I mean, mm-hmm. once you did more research, once you became more aware um, it, it went from pain to gain for you. You just really had a whole, uh, paradigm shift about yeah. the reason that, I mean, you love your mom so much and what she's about and what she's here to do that you wouldn't even want her to stay in the state. She needs to be where she is. So, well, well, you can go on the website, jointhegoodproject.com. That's jointhegoodproject.com. When we come back, we're going to delve into David Good's story, The Way Around, and delve into why he's been featured, such as the BBC News and all over different press releases about the success of this book. We'll be right back following this short break. Thank you for being with us. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world, we count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. We are all on the journey together, making sense of this life, Finding our spirituality, growing and evolving. As we travel through this world, Unity Magazine is your resource for gaining a deeper understanding of life. Unity Magazine is on the forefront of spiritual discovery, with articles and features from leading authors, teachers, and philosophers. Stimulate your thinking and strengthen your spirituality with Unity Magazine. Sample a free trial issue or subscribe today at unitymagazine.org. Somewhere, tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a hundred years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, For Unity Classic Radio, words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio, words from our past, every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, Right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for listening to The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being with Reverend Temple Hayes. If you have a question or comment about today's discussion, you can email us at theintentionalspirit at unityonlineradio.org. Now, here is your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. 
And welcome back, everyone. And we're talking to David Good today. He is the founder of The Good Project. You can go to his website, jointhegoodproject.com. He is a, a person that believes in a more global, um, more than local, has such a tremendous story to tell. Um, David, it's just, it's really heartwarming and, and wrenching to hear about the story of your family and your father, Kenneth, and coming together with a Yana mommy. Uh, tribe what what a, a story and um and that you have you know moved from um what i like to say there's the birth story there's our experiences the wounds the feeling abandoned um you and i could certainly do couch therapy many years about that one um and then there is the creation story of how you used all of this uh, for you to be created to do the work today that you do in the world. So we kind of left it in the show that um, you then became to a place of acceptance. You realized that, you know, your father and you and, and your siblings, you, you needed to stay in America and your mom was exactly where she needed to be. And uh, Yana, mommy, even though you could feel her presence all the time and she was such a part of your psyche, when did you uh, decide that it was inevitable that you needed to go back? You had mentioned that earlier, but did you let her know in some way, um, or is there that level of communication with them at this point? Um, yeah, so you know, like I was saying, it was in the early early twenties. It was around twenty two when I had that 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 made that you know decision to go to go find her and and. And after I had spent years of, of, of understanding why she left and, and it was, it was a, you know, it was just, it was such a, it was like a, uh, like a damn release, you know, it was just this huge cathartic, um, you know, experience I was going through as I decided to make a decision. Like I just wanted to hug everybody and say, guess what? I'm going to find my mom, you know? <laughs> and, and, um, but then, then I realized, okay, what's it going to take to find my mom? Because everything you read about the Yanomami in that territory is, you know, they're extremely remote or they live deep in the jungle and all the dangers of getting there and, and the bureaucracy you have to go through. And I just realized, Oh man, this is much larger, um, you know, feat to undertake than I hadn't thought. And um, so there is no way of telling her, you know, I couldn't call her or email her or mail her. She lives, you know, way in, up the Orinoco River and in the Venezuelan basin. So I couldn't let her know. So I didn't even, I didn't even know where to begin. Um, and so I, I, what I did is I emailed a, a family friend who was a um, Dr. Robert Carnero, who's a curator at the American Museum of Natural History. And he was a good family friend. He knew my mom, my father very well. And I thought I'd start there. And, and then it was just sort of this chain reaction. He forwarded my message to various people in Venezuela, to anthropologists, until finally the the uh, um, email had gone to Hortensia Caballero, who is an anthropologist uh, based at a research institute in Venezuela. And she said, you know what, Dave, you know, I, I'm going to help you. I will do whatever it takes to help you find your mom. And so she was an anthropologist who studies the Yanomami. And so she made a trip into that territory and just started asking around and, and asking if, if my mother was even alive, where she's living, and, and so on. So she did a lot of background, you know, research and, and, and groundwork for me. And finally, she was able to find my mom, not in her home village, but in a different village. And he told she told her, he said, your son, David, is trying to come home to you. And, and the message that I got was that she was really, really happy and surprised. And, but, uh, apparently she probably forgot all the, um, you know, the processes involved in getting down there, visas and paperwork and passports and so on. So she left a message back saying, telling me to hurry up to get in a boat and come on down. Um, <laughs> so, but, uh, it took, it took about two years for me to, not to emotionally and, and, and financially prepare myself for, for such an expedition. And um, so when I was 24, I graduated from East Stroudsburg University here in the Poconos of Pennsylvania, and I decided that this is it. This is my, you know, opportunity uh, to, to embark on this quest to, to go to the Amazon jungle to find, to find my mom. Well, 
I, I can only imagine uh, with your upbringing and city life and everything. I understand it was quite. You had quite a few challenges initially, didn't you? You were overtaken yeah. by insects and all the things that yeah. one finds out in the in the yes. Amazon. <laughs> so if you, yeah. So if you knew me back then, I never camped a day in my life, and I didn't know how to start a fire. Um, I was I had this huge phobia of bugs, you know, and it was kind of like a joke in the family when they found out that I was trying to go to the Amazon. They're like, David, you do realize that you you're afraid of a ladybug, <laughs> and and I'm like, and I said, I know, I know, I know. Um, you know, I I know I'm definitely afraid of bugs. I never camped. I didn't. I don't even speak Yano Mami. I didn't even speak any Spanish, but. I knew I had to do it. I knew I had to compartmentalize all of my fears and just put them on the back burner because my one mission and goal was to find mom. And I was willing to go through any obstacle, any, any hardship to get to her. And it meant that much, you know, to me to be able to do that. So yes, even though the sight of a ladybug would, get, would, would, you know, um, scare my pants off, but I knew I had to do it. I knew I had to do it. <laughs> It's so interesting how how different, right? And I mean, talk about originality. You know, we're born into our parents. It kind of goes to what Khalil Gibran says: your children come through you, but not from you. Because obviously, <laughs> your mom doesn't have those phobias, or she couldn't live where she does, right? Right, um, exactly. So, um, so when you did arrive. Was she just like overwhelmed with emotions to see you? Yeah. Um, so yeah, when I, I I flew from Newark to Caracas, where I teamed up with Hortensia, and just to briefly describe the, the trip was, you know, we we went from Caracas to uh, Puerto Ayacucho, which is the capital of the Amazonas state in Venezuela, um, and then from there we took a bus ride to Mariapo. And then from there, we got on a boat, went all the way up to Orinoco. We camped the night on the river in, in an indigenous village. And then the next day, we got to a Catholic um, Salesian missionary post. And there, we reorganized our medicine and gear. We spent the night there. Then the next day, we continued upriver, past the Guajaripo Rapids, the infamous Guajaripo Rapids, uh, because my father had had capsized there once while he was sick with malaria and almost lost his life. And for me, it was just very monumental to be in this same spot, uh, you know, doing the same things my father did decades and decades ago. Um, and then we finally arrived to uh, the trailhead that leads to Hasapuateri, which is the village that my father had lived in for so long. And when you get to the trailhead, all the Yanomami start running to the bank because it's not too often that they see outsiders. So it's always kind of like a big event when they hear a motor so you know everyone screams motor motor and everyone starts running to the trailhead and and that was my first time seeing my my kinsmen my my people you know mm-hmm. up on the riverbank staring at me and i'm just looking up at them and i'm just so nervous and and uh Hortensia was translating for me and i was whispering to her because i had no idea what's going on i said Hortensia, like what do I do? What are they saying? And she told me, well, uh, you should get off the boat because they know who you are and they want to see you. Um, so I got off the boat and I was just completely mobbed with Yanomami. I had hands all over my face, my back, their hands up my shirt. <laughs> they were pulling my ear, touching my nose and screaming at me and yelling at me and Yanomami. I didn't understand a word they were saying. And and the, you know the, their their facial uh, you know their features are so different. You know they, the women wear the sticks through their nose and uh, through the septum and the lower lips, and and they they're all chewing huge wads of tobacco and 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 uh, they're feeling my facial hair because they don't have facial hair there in that culture. So for them to see someone who's Yanomami but had facial hair was a phenomenon to them. And so I was just <laughs> it was just weird. <laughs> initial and i was in just complete culture shock you know i never I didn't, I didn't know what to expect yeah so anyway um my mom wasn't there and it was a, kind of disheartening to to know that i come all this way and she's not in the place that i thought she would be but a relative of mine had dashed away after he realized who had arrived had dashed away into the jungle to go find my mom and, and retrieve her so we decided to uh set up camp 
And um, uh, we went to the Shabanal, uh, into their village. I set up my hammock, and, and we waited there for an hour and a half. And, and the Yanomami were constantly asking me questions, just, you know, touching me and just, uh, you know, every, every part of my body. <laughs> and, um, and, and they were originally um, trying to establish kinship network. Like, this is your niece. This is your aunt. This is your potential wife. This is your brother. This is uh, your so potential on. wife. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. We went from ladybug <laughs> to wife in 15 Dude, wife. minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess need to, yeah, the Yanomami. <laughs> Um, they, they, they go very specific, uh, when it comes to establishing kinship network. <laughs> so, um, I hear that. Really, my goodness. Um, but it's very, very important to them. And it was funny because I, I didn't understand a word they were saying. And there was only, there were only two phrases that I had remembered from my childhood growing up. And, 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 and I had spoken Yanomami as a child. Uh, you know, when you're five, you, you do speak with your mom, but I, I just don't remember it. But there were two phrases that I remember, and one was uh, "yaohi," which was uh, which is "I'm hungry," and the other was "yaposishiiti," which is "my butt really itches." So those were the two phrases I was working off of <laughs> with my first <laughs> immersion experience among the Yanomami. So, and I wasn't going around. I wasn't going to uh, put off a first impression and tell everyone that my butt itches. So, um, right, exactly. Anyway, so, oh my then, gosh, um, that must have just be you. You were just <laughs> absolutely whelmed over. How many people? Just guesstimate. Are there in the tribe? There are there hundreds. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know the the. The Yanomami population is roughly 30,000, give or take. You know, these demographic numbers are always changing uh, and roughly split half and half because their territory uh, spans um, within the uh, across the Venezuela and Brazilian border. Uh, so, um, and then with they're made up of hundreds of villages called Shabanos. And then within a Shabano, you have uh, anywhere from 50 to 250, on average, uh, um, members of that village could be consisted of one or two or maybe three lineages, not too common. But um, so when I was entering Hasapuateri, I'm entering a specific village or shabano within um, a territory of, of hundreds of shabanos. Um So, uh, and, and, and when I was in... Uh, at, uh, setting up my hammock and being barraged by Yanomami hands and, and words and not understanding anything. Um, I had dealt with that for about an hour and a half until finally my mom you know, walks into the village. And then there was just this, this immediate hush and everyone was absolutely quiet. And I knew right then and there that was my mom. And I looked up and I got out of my hammock and, I instantly recognized her. And it's just, for me, it was just a huge shock, you know, just to know that I, my last memory of her, I was five years old, you know, 20 years ago, and, and here she is still alive. And so she had, was carrying a, uh, a basket of manioc and she had taken it off her forehead. It was strapped to her forehead and she had placed it down gently on the ground. And she started ambling towards me and, I walked towards her, and, and then I realized, man, I don't speak Yanomami, and she doesn't speak English. And so we were just a foot or two from each other, and, and I looked into her eyes, and she just started crying and was trembling. Oh. And, and and she was, like, feeling my arm almost to, to see if, if I was real. It's like, uh, you know, maybe I was a ghost or something. It's almost like she couldn't believe it, and her hand started trembling. And I put my hand on her shoulder, and I was so nervous. And I said, Mom me David's your son I made it I'm home and uh and I realized right then and there right then and there that I didn't care what happened in the past I could have asked her millions of questions why did you leave me why did you do this why did you cause the suffering but I realized that I didn't care anymore it, it, it's of no interest or importance to me anymore uh, uh, about the past all I cared about was that she was alive she was well and I finally made it after such a long and arduous journey I finally reunited with my mom and I also realized that in spite of the fact that we have this cultural barrier in which she can't really relate to mine and I can't really relate to her culture, no barrier could ever dissolve the bond a mom has for her son. And, and I knew right then and there that this was going to be the start of a 
very bright future and a very happy beginning between uh, my mother and me. Oh, that's so, that made me cry. <laughs> I'm so glad you kind of walked us through the moment because I, I could almost feel like, oh, I was there somehow or, you know, watching yeah. it in a movie and probably mm-hmm. this will become a movie. Am I right? Uh, we're thinking about it. <laughs> so yeah, that's We have what a I was... couple of books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just, Everything was so familiar. You know, you can intellectualize it in a way by reading all these books about the Yanomami. And, and, and I knew, like, I knew my mother was going to look the way she looks, naked with sticks in her noses, <laughs> with sticks in her nose. But uh, to see it in person, to actually, you know, immerse yourself in that culture. And then after going through the culture shock, there's this sort of, you know, instant realization or actualization, which I realized, wow, this isn't just some culture that I'm talking about. This is also my culture. This is my heritage and, and I'm part of it. And, and since my reunion with my mother, I've, I've done a complete 180 from absolutely hating and renouncing the Anamami to being so proud of it and wanting to talk about it and share my, the, 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 the world of my people to my peers and friends and community up here in the United States and abroad. And how has that been going for you, David? You started the, the good project, um, and you, you know, have written the book the way around. Um, I mean, it, it to me is, is one of the messages we say in unity all the time. We are one, you know, we're all connected. If it's happening to your mother and Yanomami, it's happening to us here in St. Petersburg, Florida, or in Kansas yeah. City, Missouri, or whether you where you are in the Poconos Mountains in Pennsylvania, because we are that interwoven fabric of of, of connection. Um, and so, how has that been? How has that been for you? That connection. Yeah. How long did you stay there? Um, yeah. And, um. And how did that vision uh, become born within you to start a movement to really uh, put their face out in the world that people don't forget, hey, they're there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, as I spent, I spent three months in the Amazon at, during my, in 2011, my first, first time going down there, reuniting mom and but I didn't just stay in one spot. I, I, I um, traveled around, visited different villages, visited, visited uh, missionaries of, of various backgrounds, whether they're Catholic or Protestant. I stayed with doctors and, and dentists that are um, volunteering in that area. And one thing I need to, to, to point out is that the Yanomami, you, you can never generalize or homogenize a whole population based on a single visit or based on, um, you know, a single book that you read about them because they're very dynamic people and, they're on a wide spectrum of, of, of the cultural influence from outsiders. So you have Yanomami today that are living in cities that are trying to become or have become westernized, so to speak, or, um, and you have Yanomami that are living around mission posts that have frequent contact with outsiders. Um, you know, some have even become missionaries, some are involved in, in, in teaching in schools and so on. And then you have Yanomami such as my village, uh, where, um, you know, they have very limited contact with outsiders, but uh, they, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, still live this relatively isolated lifestyle, a remote and, and traditional lifestyle. And then you have other Yanomami villages that may have not seen outsiders for, for generations. Um, so yeah, so you got to keep that in mind when you think about a whole population group. And, um and so what I wanted to do was that I understood this dynamic and I wanted to experience, sort of get a general, general idea of uh, the various influences uh, that the Yanomami are experiencing today in this day and age because uh, a lot has changed in the last half century or so since they have sustained Western contact. And then it dawned on me that, 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 there's, that there's a purpose, you know, that there's a reason why mom left me. There's a reason why that I'm a member of this, this unique indigenous group but was raised in the Western world. And, you know, and I believe today the Yanomami are experiencing uh, an onslaught of changes and influences ranging from medicine to, to, uh, um, to 
politics and bureaucracy to, you know, land demarcations to actually trying to control their own, uh, you know, uh, sort of government bodies and getting more and more involved with the Western world. And I realized that they are, they need, they need someone that they can, they can trust. And, and I feel that because I was raised in this Western world, I can think like a Westerner. I can, I can understand as, as a Westerner, whereas the Yanomami today have trouble. Really, they really do have trouble trying to to bring the you know uh, try to bridge the two worlds and 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 I realized that this is my calling like this is what I need to do you know this was my purpose for 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 being left behind here in the states and being raised and educated here and not to to change them or westernize them that's the least I want to do but to serve as a trustworthy bridge between their world and their realm of cognition and, and understanding of how the world works around them and my world, the Western world, and how that world is slowly encroaching upon their territory. And I've, we're, we're talking about healthcare to introduction of goods and medicines and, and, and so on. And I realized that I, I, I have to do something to be able to uh, help my family and, and my people because I, I don't just care about my mother. I care about the whole whole population. They really are dear to me. And, and, and though I'm, I'm still a novice and I'm still learning and I'm at the incipients of all of this, I strongly feel that I'm going to build a strong foundation so that we can continue to help uh, the Yanomami, you know, forever and ever. What an incredible journey. And it had to be you. You know, <laughs> it had to be you. I mean, you're, yeah. it's almost like this is your destiny, uh, that this is what your life is, is supposed to be about. Of course, with the, you know, strong influence that you've had from, from your father. How many times have you been back since, uh, 2013? Uh, three times. I mean, 2011, um, excuse me. Been back yeah, three, three times. times. Yeah. yeah. I just got, I just got back a couple months ago and, and each time I learn, learn more about uh, the culture, the language, the uh, interaction between uh, them and the outside world, and, and I learn a little bit more about their needs and so on. And so, uh, and and you know, I look forward to returning to to continue learning so that I can have a more solid idea of what I want to do in terms of uh, formulating or promulgating some kind of. Um, program that is designed to not only help them, quote-unquote, help them, but also preserve their language, their culture, their way of life so that they don't have to be, so that, you know, I, I don't accept the fact that they're destined to be doomed, just like the Native Americans up here. Like, I just, yeah. I don't think, you know, and it's happening today. It's really sad. You know, you have Yanomami moving into the cities and they're getting involved with drugs and prostitution and they're being exploited by various, you know, entities and groups. And, and, and that's the thing about the Yanomami, you know, a hundred years ago, they couldn't count beyond two. And now they need to understand the global market and the economy and, and money. And, and they just get exploited. And as a Westerner, I can see it. I can see it happening. Um, and I don't like it. Uh, and I don't want drugs and prostitution to, penetrate to my family and which I'm very lucky right now that they live far away enough and deep enough that uh you know they're not really exposed to that um and I just I just don't want that their future to seem seem bleak and dark yeah it's just way too much too fast you know I mean Mm -hmm. uh to go from that I mean just as it was a shock for you that's just way too much to go from that life to then uh, a city life. So good for you. Now, I also see um, you working with um, some of the children and on some of your photos, and that's on your mm-hmm. on your website. Um, are yeah. you are yeah. you teaching them past the number two? Or are you uh, doing different <laughs> classes with them? And I'm sure my point yeah. being, you made a reference to how they're, you know, impacting you and what you're learning. But I can only imagine the the greatness you're able to offer them. They must be so excited to have you in their lives. Uh, yeah. Or the, you know, the, the potential of, you know, of having uh, a Yanomami who's son of a Yanomami woman, but has been raised in this Western world, the potential of having someone like that, you know, be there for them. 
instead of just sort of this one way where you've got the outsiders and Westerners coming up with the programs and the ideas and trying to impose that on them. But I, have, but I also, you know, not everything is bad. There's a lot of good people in Venezuela, um, teachers and so on that are there working blood, sweat and tears day in and day out to educate them, to teach them how to read and write. Um, because if they're going to, you know, become part of this, you know, new world as they change and evolve, um, they need to be able to, to, uh, um, fight for their rights and, and be in order to do that, they need to know, they need to be able to read and write and so on. And so, um, you know, I went down there, uh, uh, to, and, and to, to collaborate with other groups. So I, I'm going to be the first to say, I don't have the answers to everything. You know, this is also new to me and I only have about four or five years of experience under my belt. And so I collaborate with other anthropologists and so on. And, uh, so on my last trip, I collaborated with uh, Javier uh, Carrera, who's an anthropologist from, uh, based in D.C., and, and he had studied the Yanomami for many years. So we went down together to, to, um, to, to talk to the Yanomami and ask them, what is it that you need and what do you believe that, uh, that should, you know, how should we use the resources to help your schools and so on. So uh, we've agreed to work on a project together to uh, – uh, document oral mythologies and, 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 and oral histories and use that um, material to develop contemporary and more up-to-date and rele- relevant textbooks for their schools. So that's just one example. And, of course, I have many other interests which involve the public health and so on, and, um, but uh, I, I am happy, you know, to, that, uh, that I'm going in this direction, that, um, that I'm – I'm there as, as, as a representative, but I'm also there as a student to learn from them and all the other people that are doing good things to help the Yanomami. Well, one of the things that our listeners can do is, first of all, um, you can share this show with other friends and other people, of people that are saying that they want to expand beyond the U.S. borders and, and be part of something that's innovative and exciting. You can go to jointhegoodproject.com and you can read about David Good, his story. You see images, um, different writings. Uh, you can read his articles where he's been interviewed by uh, other magazines and, and newspapers. Um, you can also purchase his book, The Way Around, and find out more. That also tremendously supports this this cause. Uh, one of the things I, I wanted to say to you, David, is um, it's good that you don't feel you have the answers because when we feel we have the answers, we often get in the way of what needs to come forth. So that's a blessing. It's good to be a visionary without feeling that you have all the answers. Um, because sometimes when we start, you know, getting into a level of being in control and, and, and those kind of things, we block being open to what wants to emerge forward. So always remember that's a good quality to have. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Absolutely, because it, it it keeps the flow open, uh, just like it has been for you all along. You know, so uh, whatever you're doing and however you're not doing it or whatever is flowing is apparently and obviously working in a way that resonates and in a way that's not too quick or too fast for anyone to assimilate it. So that, that, that's a beautiful thing. Well, how else can we get involved, uh, for our listeners and people? What else can we do to support the good project? Sure. Um, well, uh, first and foremost, uh, Undertaking these expeditions and, and research projects uh, involves funding. So if you can read about our projects and, and our perspectives on our, on our website, and if you feel that this is a project worth um, supporting, please uh, make a donation on our website. Uh, we are 501c3, and uh, your donations are tax-deductible. Um, we also, uh, I am selling personally my book on the website and all proceeds goes towards the good project and, and the work that we do for the Yanomami. And, um, so as I prepare, uh, my research and continue, um, you know, developing my next plan of action, I have to also prepare for, uh, to, to cover the cost of getting back to the jungle. Um, so that's one way. And I, you know, uh, while the work I do it, it involves going to the jungle, but I also, you know, uh, 
uh, just to, to, to serve my, my friends and community up here, I, um, I, I, I take the lessons that I learned from the Yanomami. And when, similar to my father's experience, when I, when I stayed among the Yanomami, I felt like I learned the essence of what it is to be human. You know, they, they live in this, this culture where it's free from loneliness. There's no depression. Uh, there's no, there's no um, suicide. It's just non-existent. And I just realized, you know, wow, there's a culture that I have to us seems like I have nothing, but yet they're always so happy and so resilient in the, in, in the way they live in the jungle. So what I like to do is, is to take those kind of life lessons, I, life lessons I learned down there and as I learn more about the culture and bring it up here and I give a lot of talks and presentations. So I ask that, you know, uh, that you, you go on the website or other organizations and just learn about their culture, learn about the way of life. And I just think there's something, something, you know, uh, interesting about, you know, how we have so much in 2016, how we advanced technologically. And yet I compare that to the Yanomami who have a bow and arrow and a machete. And yet I feel like they live such a wholesome, happy life. Uh, compared to us at certain times. Wow. <laughs> Are there other places your book can be bought, or do you go to your website? Uh, yes, of course. You can You can uh, purchase it off Amazon.com. You can visit Barnes & Noble. Um, it's also available on Kindle. You can download the e-reader and so on. Um, and uh, 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 the audio book is, is my voice. So if you're feeling inclined to listen to my voice as you read the book, uh, feel free um, and, and so on. And, and our, uh, you know, we're always doing book tours. So if you feel if I'm uh, uh, local enough and, you know, feel free to drop me a line. If you like to set up a, a lecture event or a presentation, you know, please feel free to drop us a line and, you know, we can set something up. Well, let me know when you're coming by way of Florida. Okay, David? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I tremendously applaud you at 25 years old, all the things in the world or the self-fulfilling things that you could be caught up in, and yet you have this greater call uh, to be part of something bigger and greater than you are. So I just really applaud that visionary spirit within you. And I, I hold for you just tremendous success. It's been indeed a great pleasure to have you on the show and to, to hear your sacred story. It's just quite amazing. But I know you're going to be one of those guys that, you know, five years from now, I'm going to go, Oh yeah, I knew that guy. I was on the radio with him one time. Uh, he was talking about his ideas and how he wasn't really sure how it was all going. Now look at him. So that's the space I hold for you, David Good. For those of you that are listening please go to join the goodproject.com get involved you can go to the facebook page you can like the facebook page uh, look at other ways you can participate and or give and donate uh, as a 501c3 um, you can be blessed by the experience of giving as you continue to love the types of shows that we do remember we love to hear from you uh, get in touch with us let us know the kind of ideas that you like for us to explore on the show as intentional spirits uh, please join me at templehaze.com or at firstunity.org it's been a pleasure to be with you david thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show today and tremendous success is uh, is yours for the taking thank you so much i had a wonderful time thank you yes bless you Thank you for tuning in to The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being with Reverend Temple Hayes. Join us every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central for tools and simple applications which will support you from being alive to fully living. This program is brought to you in part by First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida. To learn more about this ministry, go to www.unitycampus.org or www.templehaze.org. When I look at the world around me, I may feel dismayed by the amount of conflict I see. 
Of course I want things to be different, and perhaps I'm willing to take action. But so often I don't know exactly what to do or how. Sometimes the best place to start is with myself. By first looking at my own life and relationships, I may find areas of conflict that need to be resolved. If I want that resolution, I must work for it within myself. Peace is a personal responsibility, an ever-present power I must choose to accept. Every time I work to heal something within myself, I am helping to heal the world. Peace happens one heart at a time. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. Every moment we live can be holy, and all we need to do to experience that state is to make the decision to do so. Everything we do can be a prayer, and by using our innate creativity with intention in every aspect of our lives, that can indeed be true. Author Carla Kincannon wrote, Creativity is so much more than art making. It is a tool for navigating through everyday experiences to find the sacred in each God-given moment. Discover Creative Spirit, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time, and experience the joy of connecting to spirit through creative expression. is formless yet takes many forms what goes around comes around chant the name of the lord and be free no one comes to the father except through me ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions join reverend paul john roach every tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions using discussions interviews humor insight and practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach. Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly? Listen to Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things. Join the discussion with Daryl and Ed live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Funniest Thing, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. like life. Grief is a journey, not a destination. Whether it is loss of life, relationship, security, or simply the process of change, have you given yourself permission to begin your journey of grief? Have you yielded to the gift of grace? Join Reverend Chaz Wesley every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central on a virtual navigation 
from grief to grace and explore new horizons of empowerment, significance, and support only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 